Good morning. Greetings to all of you this morning. In the name of our Lord, I am honored and grateful to God for the privilege to be in Arizona. Yes, Lord. I came from Maryland. It was like 28 degrees and snow on the ground. So if y'all want me to come back next week, I'll come back next week too. They're calling for 10 inches today. So uh, maybe, hey, maybe I'll get snowed in and can't go back to Maryland. Hey. I'm honored to be here. I'm grateful to the Lord for your pastor and giving me this invitation. By the way, you guys, you guys have a tremendous pastor in Pastor Lynn Winters. Do y'all believe that? Y'all know that? Let's celebrate him. He's a great man. Uh, I am uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church of Arden, just outside of Washington, D.C., just east of D.C. Matter of fact, our church is about six miles from uh, the Washington, D.C. line. Um, we have uh, one church in two locations, two campuses, and my church released me to be here with you all today, and uh, I'm glad to be here with you all. My wife, Trina, of 30 years this August, will celebrate 31 years of being married. That's a long time. Somebody said that's a long time. I wish I could tell you that all those 30 years I've been the bomb diggity husband, but that would be far from the truth. God has given me a woman. I'm married up. I'm married above my head. God gave me a blessed woman, and I'm very grateful to the Lord for her. We got six kids. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. There's something to do other than being in church all the time. Yes, Lord. Uh, we got six kids. My oldest is Sarah. She's 28. She's a school teacher down in Orlando, Florida. Uh, Joshua is 26. He's um, a police officer in our community. Uh, Anna is, you know, I got to think these things through here for a second. She's 25, and she, is, uh, she works for the Secret Service. I'd like to tell y'all what she do- does, but I'd have to kill y'all after I tell you. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy, let me talk about Jimmy for a minute. Jimmy is my 20-year-old in his second year of college. He's a child that just is drama, drama. How many of y'all got kids? Let me see how many of y'all got kids. All right, good, thank you. So y'all understand, I don't know if you had any kids, well, one of them just knows exactly which buttons to push. They they just know how, Jimmy's the one. He's going to be great one day. Y'all going to hear about him. Because whatever he decides to do, he goes all the way. I mean, if he's going to do wrong, it's all the way. If he's, if he's going to do right, he goes all the way. And so I'm believing that he's going to do right and go all the way. Uh, then we have Natalie, who's 14, and John Jr., who's 12. And they released me to be here with you all today, and I am grateful for that. Um, I have enjoyed the first two services of this marathon, five services I'm preaching today. Um, And uh, I want to feel welcome. Do y'all want me to feel welcome? All right. So I see some of y'all are a little slow in the response that's needed. But here's what I do. When I'm preaching at my church, we, ha- we have a sanctuary. We have two sanctuaries, and one seats 4,000, one seats 800. And um, at our church, when I say something really good or that they agree with, they say, amen. <laughs> and if I really hit it right on the nail, they really d- agree with me, they say, preach on Pastor Jenkins. <laughs> so, do, so I can feel welcome if y'all, I know y'all not used to that kind of thing. But can y'all, thank you, I appreciate that right there. There you go, right there. 
So let's, let's practice that. Somebody say amen. amen. So y'all can do it. All right, let's say preach on, Pastor. All right, y'all, hey, y'all got it. All right, thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning, this hour, for the persons present here today. And I pray today that you would touch our lives and speak to us clearly and plainly. Allow your word to accomplish what you desired for this day. We know that this day is not a surprise to you, nor what is going on today. You have brought the persons here today that you desire. And I pray today that you would anoint our time together and challenge us that we might be everything you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about Solomon and the situations he's faced. I want to talk about Solomon. Solomon uh, uh, finds himself being elevated to the kingship. He becomes the king. He follows in the footprints of his father, his father who reigned for 40 years, dies, passes off the scene, and passes the mantle on to Solomon. Solomon takes up the mantle. As a matter of fact, he's going to govern for 40 years himself. Soon after he became king, 1 Kings chapter 3, if you, go, if you have your Bibles and if you take notes, this message comes from the third chapter of 1 Kings. I don't have time to read this whole chapter to you, but for reference, that's the passage. Solomon, soon after he becomes king, falls asleep and has a dream. And the dream, in the dream, God comes and says to him, ask whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Now, you know, God couldn't say that to some of us here today, because if we ask God, if God said, what do you want, you know, we'd be asking for cars and houses and money and fame and fortune and television shows and recording contracts, and we'd be asking for all kinds of things. But Solomon, even in the wisdom, before he got wisdom from God, wisely said to God, can you give me two things? Can you give me, number one, an understanding heart, and number two, the ability to d discern between right and wrong? Those are the two things he asked God for, an understanding heart and the ability to discern between right and wrong. An understanding heart is important because, you know, I, didn't, I have encountered a lot of folk who do not have an understanding heart. We need to understand the things of God, the ways of God, the word of God, the character of God. We need to understand human nature, understand ourselves. There's a lot that a heart needs to understand. And he said, God, give me an understanding heart. But he didn't stop there. He also said, help me discern and determine between right and wrong. And I think that's a good prayer we need to pray today because there's a lot of folk who cannot tell the difference between right and wrong. As a matter of fact, thank you so much. I appreciate that right there. As a matter of fact, we live in a culture and a community that wants to make wrong right and to make right wrong. And that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. Now, if y'all can't say amen on that point, this is going to be a long sermon right here. If y'all can't say amen on that point. Do I need to point out to you how, how we have made it okay to do certain things? As a matter of fact, we try to make people think there's something wrong with them, but they don't uh, abide by the way the world acts and behaves. If a young lady says she's a virgin, and here she is in her 20s and 30s, and she's never had sex, we try to think that there's something wrong with her. When as a matter of fact, there's nothing wrong with a single woman. As a matter of fact, it's a godly thing for her to be able to say that I have preserved myself for the night in shining armor that God is going to bring into my life. Amen. It's a slow crowd right here. This is a slow crowd. <laughs> 
As a matter of fact, you know, we take a stand. I preach unapologetically. I take a stand on certain things, and, and it doesn't win me a lot of friends. It causes a lot of people to be upset and mad with me, but it's okay. I'm taking a stand for what I believe the Bible teaches and what is right. I'm not trying to do a popularity contest. I don't want to be people's friends. I'm not trying to be a, a, a popular person. I, I take a stand. I will preach and say that there is a distinction that God made a man to be with a woman and a woman to be with a man. I don't make it okay for two men to be together or two women to be together. We take a stand on that issue. I take a stand on shacking together. I don't know if y'all, I don't know what y'all call two people living together that ain't married in the white community, but in the black community we call it shacking up. That's what we call it. We take a stand on certain things. We preach truth. We declare what the Bible teaches. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that has not embraced that. We live in a culture that makes wrong right and right wrong. And we need to try, I like what Solomon said, God give me that because I believe we need to try to get people in leadership in our communities and politicians and in our school systems and all about who will make a stand and stand up for what's right and what's wrong. Solomon said, God give me a distinction. Go ahead, Cornerstone. <laughs> and so he asked God for those two things. And as a matter of fact, God was so impressed with Solomon's request that God gave it to him. He gave him an understanding heart and the ability to discern between right and wrong. But God even went further than that. He gave him wealth and riches and a number of other things. God blessed him. And it's a good thing God gave him that understanding heart and that ability to discern because very early in his kingship, he's going to be faced with a scandalous situation. Isn't that y'all theme scandalous? It's scandalous. <laughs> he is faced with a scandalous situation. And the scandalous situation is right here in this text of 1 Kings chapter 3. As a matter of fact, what he faces and what he's dealt, dealing with is a situation where two women who are roommates are living together and something occurs and happens that is brought before King Solomon. And here's the situation. Solomon is faced with these two women who, who here's what happened. These two women, by the way, they are, they live together, they're roommates, and they are in the same line of employment. They're prostitutes, women of the night, ladies of the evening, whatever you want to call them, prostitutes. And both of them have had children. Matter of fact, they have both had babies within three days of each other, and they're both sons. But something devastating happens one night. One night, one of the women rolls over on top of her baby and smothers the baby to death. When she wakes up and discovers that her baby is dead, she very quickly comes up with a scandalous idea to take her dead baby and exchange that baby with her roommate's living baby. Now, I know that might sound shocking to you, but let me tell you something. It's going on all the time in our communities. It's going, over, it's going on particularly even in the church. What are you talking about, Pastor? Here's the deal. She woke up and found herself facing a horrible moment, a horrible situation. She woke up and found her baby dead. Something that she loved and she cared about, that she, that she, she wanted and had, she, that she had her heart in, she found it dead. And there are a lot of people today who wake up and find their jobs dead, their career dead, their marriage dead. And what do we do? We try to switch out our situation with somebody else's living situation. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Y'all don't want to say amen. Look straight ahead. Nobody know I'm talking about somebody sitting in your role. Matter of fact, somebody in your section, somebody in your fear of influence, some relationship that you have, somebody who didn't like their marriage, it was rolling dead, it wasn't going anywhere, they switched it out. Left that person to go hook up with somebody who's probably married to somebody else. That's a tragic deal. It's, it's, it's horrific in the eyes of God. It's sinful. Y'all can come up with whatever you want to say, however you want to fix it, but it's horrible in the eyes of God. And that's what goes on day in and day out, every day in the communities, in our church. We're switching out jobs, switching out money, switching out relationships. We're switching, switching, switching out, taking our dead thing and pawning it off and going to steal somebody else's live deal. You know what I learned about God? I learned to be grateful for what God has put in my life because what God has for me is for me, and I believe that God can take something that's dead and bring it back to life. Yeah. I know that's true because that's what God, God did for me. I, I've been married to my wife for 30, coming up 31 years, and I, it has not been because I've been the bomb diggity husband. Did I tell you that already? Yeah. Matter of fact, I married up. I married a woman that God has given me extreme grace. He's given me a wonderful wife. They're hard to find. Wonderful women are hard to find. I know the brothers want to say amen, but they don't want to say it while you sit next to them. They're scared to say amen while their wives are sitting next to them. I understand. I'm, I know the deal. I got the game. Go ahead. Don't say nothing, brother. Ain't nobody going to be mad at you. I'm with you. God gave me a wonderful woman, and God taught me how to bring life back to my dead situation. He taught me, he, gave, he, has, he has nurtured me and challenged me and, and instructed me on what I needed to do to bring life back to my marriage because the fact is I had killed it over several times. I had slain it by my behavior, by my insensitivity. I was an insensitive person. God, God taught me to be sensitive. <laughs> That's the big bird word for the day, sensitive. Come on, say sensitive. God had to teach me to be sensitive with my wife. He taught me how to enter into her world because I thought all the world was about me. I thought everything centered around me. I was a breadwinner. I was this. I wouldn't took care of the family. It was about me. I'd come home. She'd be watching TV. I'd grab the remote, remote control and change it to the channel I wanted to watch with no regard for what she was watching. I was insensitive. I know the ladies want to say amen and say preach on pastor, but they scared to say it too. <laughs> I thought I would have a few more amens by this point in this juncture of the message, but, but God had to teach me how to be sensitive to her, and he brought life back to our marriage. He gave us the ability to live and have life, and I'm thankful that I didn't trade her out, and, and, and she didn't trade me out. I'm grateful for that. God taught me, and, and one of the things he taught me was how to be sensitive to her, and so here's how I got it. Let me, let me just throw this in. This is, I'm going to throw this in for free. I won't charge y'all extra for this. I'll just throw this in. I'm going to save some marriages with this one little point right here. God taught me how to save and restore my marriage and get it where it needed to be by teaching me how to enter into her world. Because my wife has her own world. Guys, if you don't know this, your wives have their own world. It don't have nothing to do with reality. It's their world. So, uh, my wife would come in as we're trying to get ready for church. We're already late. So she'd come into the room and say, baby, how does this look? I look at the white dress and the blue shoes. I say, logically, white and blue go together. I like that. 
we late. <laughs> Let's go. Amen. <laughs> Five minutes later, 10, 15 minutes later, she comes back, same white dress on, but this time she got on some, what color shoes did I say at first? Blue, red. So she wants to know, what does this look like? How does this look? My logical mind says, white and red go together. The great red, white, and blue. Hey, that all matches. The red goes together. Let's go. We're going to be late if we don't hurry up and leave right now. Let's go. Then she says something that blows my mind. I didn't anticipate it. What was wrong with the blue shoes? Amen. Nothing wrong. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the blue shoes, baby. Put on, just put on some shoes. Black shoes, red shoes, white shoes. Put on a pair each. I don't care what you do. Put on one shoe, a blue and a red. I don't matter. Just get dressed. We're going to be late. But I had to learn to be sensitive to my wife, to avoid a scandalous moment. And I had to learn how to enter into her world. So, so God taught me what to do, brothers. This is worth this is worth a million dollars, I'm going to tell you right here. Here's what he taught me. God taught me to enter into her world. So, so here's what I do. When she comes in and she got the red dress on and the white shoes and she says, how does this look? I have learned to enter into her world. So here's what I do. Here's what I say. I say, uh, step over there. Turn around. And then I say this, what other shoes were you considering with this outfit? <laughs> Let's go try those on. Let me see what they look like. See, see I'm learning that I'm going to go ahead and resolve the issue with the shoes now so we can leave and be on time. Because she's got this drama going on in her life. She's wrestling with, in her world, she's wrestling with these shoes. And it's, it's foreign to me how she's thinking, but here's how she's thinking. She, she, when I, she, she, she wanted to wear the red shoes, but she saw some woman at church with the red shoes on last week, and she don't want to have the same shoes on that somebody else had on last week, so she don't want to seem like she's a copycat. But she wants to wear, but she had the blue shoes. She thinks the blue shoes are better, but the blue shoes been sitting in the closet for a long time, and she don't want them to feel neglected. Excuse <laughs> me. For a second. I don't understand it, but I learned to just go ahead and enter into her world and deal with it now so we can get to church on time. So I'm entering into her. I'm going shopping with her. Yes, shopping. We're going to go through 15 stores. We ain't going to buy nothing. We're just looking, just looking. <laughs> I had to enter into her world. I had to be sensitive. God had to teach me that that's right and not wrong to do. But these women, this, this woman has tried to change out her dead baby for her roommate's living child. Allow me to take these next few moments and talk about three components, three areas of characteristics that I see reflected in this situation. Here's the first thing. I see that the, the first deal that I see is that this woman whose baby died was, number one, careless. Somebody say careless. careless. Let's try that again. Can everybody say careless? careless? This woman whose baby died was careless. 
As a matter of fact, she rolled over on her baby in the middle of the night, never heard him fighting for breath, never felt him struggling, trying to get away, never felt his struggle for life. And I surmised that it was that way because she had been accustomed to rolling over on people in her bed. I surmise it's because she had become accustomed to it and she mistook, mistake, uh, uh, she made a mistake. <laughs> y'all be, I be making up words while I'm preaching, y'all. Y'all, excuse me, I just be making up words. She made a mistake. She, she, had, she had mistaken what was underneath of her for another man, but in fact it was her child. She was careless with no regard for what she was doing, her rolling over, her insensitivity of how it would impact her child. And I suspect that some of you are making decisions in life that you don't care the impact that your choices make and have on the people who love you and care about you. You're making choices, doing things, acting in certain ways with no regard for how your choices, your actions, your words, your behavior, your whereabouts or lack thereof or whatever you're doing, how it impacts people who love you dearly. She was careless. But this other woman whose child was alive was careful. She was very careful. Matter of fact, I celebrate her. She was so careful that she did not make the mistake that this other woman had done. As a matter of fact, she was so careful and so particular with knowing her, ch her child that when she woke up to feed her baby and found this baby dead, she carefully looked at it and the scripture says in chapter 3 that when she saw the child, she recognized that the child was not the one she had given birth to. Now I want y'all to hear me on this point because I, I'm celebrating this woman that she knew her child. Because what I've discovered as a pastor of it's my third, 23rd year of pastoring, I've been preaching for 37 years, and I look so young, don't I? I'm just, it's just, just a young man. Come on, say amen, y'all. Placate me. I have learned that many parents don't know their kids. They know about their kids. They know what they think about their kids. A lot of them come in thinking that their child is one way. And, and the way I know about this is we have a school at our church. We have a school, and... And uh, sometimes we have to write letters to the parents about the behavior of their child. And the problem is that most of these parents think that little cute Johnny couldn't have possibly have done what we said he did. As a matter of fact, they've concluded that there's obviously something wrong with the teacher. So many of them make their way up to the school to straighten out the teacher. Matter of fact, let me, can I be honest? Now, don't y'all, if y'all don't tell nobody from Glen Art and I said this, but let me tell you something. I have contemplated shutting the school down, not because of the kids, but because of their parents. They, they are, oh, y'all must be the parents. That's why y'all quiet here today. <laughs> that's the drama. That's the pain. That's the agony. That's the frustration. It's dealing with parents who think their children are so, so wonderful. But I got awakened. I got awakened that I, that I thought my kids were wonderful, but I learned that they're not all that I thought they were. <laughs> that they jacked up. I had to, every one of my kids had put me through the test. <laughs> my oldest daughter, Sarah, made me understand that she's not all I thought she was. I was so proud of her when she got a scholarship to Georgetown University. <laughs> a basketball scholarship, which means when you get a sports scholarship, you don't have to pay, you don't have to pay for nothing. $40,000. Hey, praise the Lord. Glory to God. 
But I called her room one night at a time that I thought she should have been there. And she didn't answer the phone. And uh, uh, when I next talked to her, she said, Dad, you know you don't have to be checking on me no more. I'm grown. You grown? Ooh. I said, you know what? You haven't taken that class yet that describes and gives you the definition of what grown is. So let me tell you what it is. Grown is when you pay to put a roof over your head. Grown is when you buy the food that you eat, and that's grown. So she said, the, word, the girl that I thought the world of, the one who I thought was all that, said to me, well, hey, I got a scholarship, and they gave me a roof over my head, and they gave me food to eat. I'm grown. I said, oh, okay, I didn't know that. You are educating your father to your grownness. I didn't know you were so grown. So here's what I need you to do. All those clothes in your closet at school that I paid for, bring them on back to my house. They're going to stay at my house. <laughs> the car that you drove to Georgetown University, park that, put the keys in it, park it, the one that I paid for, I put the gas in it, I paid the insurance on it, bring it on back here. I don't know how you're going to get back to school, but bring it on back here since you're so grown. And after a couple of days, she said, Dad, I discovered that I'm not as grown as I thought I was. <laughs> I have another son, jo- another child, jo- Joshua, who, who's, he's a police officer now, but when he was, you know, a teenager, I caught him climbing in the window of the house at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I know y'all white kids don't ever do nothing like that. <laughs> This is just a black family deal right here, just in the black families. I know my kids, and I know that they're capable of anything. When I caught Jimmy, uh, jo- Joshua climbing in the window, he, it's an amazing thing. He didn't know I was standing by the window waiting for him to come in. I wish I had a camera so I could have taken a picture of him, of him climbing in. When he looked up and saw my face of his daddy standing there, priceless. <laughs> priceless. I know my kids. This woman knew her child. And I want to suspect to you that you need to learn your kids and you need to learn your own behavior. All of us are capable of doing anything if we're in the right situation, at the right time, at the right spot. Never think that you are incapable of doing anything. We all are sinners and are capable of anything. I don't mean to holler holler at y'all, but I feel a preacher coming on me right now. This woman knew her son. Her, she knew that that wasn't her child. She was careful while the other one was careless. And so here they wake up and they're fighting. They're arguing about this, this thing about the children. And so they decided to take it to the king to resolve. So they go to the king to resolve it. They go to the king to resolve it. They go to the king to resolve it. And the king doesn't know who to believe. He says, there's these two stories. And now we find the second component. One of them is lying while the other one is truthful. There's, there's the peace that we need that's hard to find today. The character of truthfulness. You didn't know you were a truthful person when you will tell the truth even if it means it's going to hurt you. Even if you know it's going to cost you something. You tell the truth. This Deceitful woman lied and said, it's my child. And the mother, true mother of the child said, no, but it's my child. And the king didn't know what to do. And so 
in his first Kings chapter 3, Solomon resolves the dilemma by saying this. Let's just cut the baby in half and we'll give half to one and half to the other. The one woman said, that's a great idea. The woman whose baby had died said, that's a great idea. The one who owned the baby, the one whose baby it was, who was the true mother said, no, 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 don't kill my baby. I'll let my baby live. You can let the other woman have the child. And Solomon knew by the response. He knew and recognized by the response who the real mother was. And he awarded the child to the rightful mother. You see, what was demonstrated at that one moment is the third component that I want to talk about. I've talked about careful and careless. I've talked about deceit and truthfulness. But here's the last third and most critical thing that I believe everybody in here can get something out of. One of the mothers was selfish while the other was selfless. One only thought about herself. One only was concerned about her own self. And if it meant that somebody else had to experience the same pain as her, that she wouldn't have to live in a house where the other woman had the baby and she didn't have hers, she was not willing to live like that, so she was selfish. But the rightful mother was selfless. She said, I'll give it up. I'll back off. I'll make the change. I want to challenge you today. In every scandal, I bet you somewhere hoovering around in the atmosphere of scandals is carelessness, deceit, and selfishness. This woman was selfish. And selfishness almost brought her in to my fabulous family. But God had to teach me to be selfless. So now I'm going shopping with my wife, <laughs> helping her dress. Hey, oh, hey. I've gotten that God is transitioning me to a selfless state that I've even started watching TV programs with her. <laughs> I thought more women would say amen to that point, but I see. And matter of fact, I've started watching my wife's favorite channel, the Home and Garden Channel. I know it's hard to believe, yes, but yes, there I am, watching Candace on design, Divine Design and House Hunters and Designing for the Sexes. Oh, yeah, there I am in there watching it, giving, it up, giving up the football games and giving up the great shows that I want to watch to watch the curbside appeal. <laughs> Y'all excuse me for a second. Watching them putting in flowers and grass. Yes, I've become selfless. It's a long process. It's a lifelong journey. It's going to take me a while to get there totally. And I thought I had almost gotten there. I thought I had achieved it and reached there. Because I, but I remember, perhaps I'm not quite there. Because I remember the day when just maybe a couple of years ago, I said, my wife's got church tonight. And I won't have to fight over the television with her. Because tonight, Maryland, the University of Maryland, is playing the University of Duke, Duke University. And I get to see the game without any drama of my wife fighting over the television. I was excited about it. That she was going to be at church all evening and I could watch the game without drama. But I thought, and I knew that God had done something in my heart that as I watched the game with every commercial, I was switching over to the home and garden. <laughs>
does not yet appear what I shall be. But I know that I'm getting where God wants me to be, selfless. Let me close this message today with a challenge, a challenge to be concerned about your actions, your choices, your behaviors that don't just impact you, but they impact the people around you who love you and care about you. This one woman rolled over on her baby with no regard for the, the impact and caused him to die. She also was deceitful and told a lie to get what she wanted. She also, unfortunately, found herself in a selfish mode. I want to challenge you today, and I recognize that this is a lifelong journey, but the reason God brought you here today is for you to hear this black man, African-American, <laughs> from a little town called Glenarden that you never heard of. He sent me here today to challenge you that there's a quiet scandal going on in your own lives if you continue to live carelessly, deceitfully, and selfishly. And I'm here to tell you that I'm guilty of all three, but thanks be to God, because of my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he has empowered me to be able to be a changed person. I'm not everything I want to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be.